to prove to you the difficulty that we have with the topic of anger. I mean, we have words coming into our vocabulary now to describe the increased anger in our culture. Uh, the idea of road rage, that wasn't a word too many years ago. This idea of, of massive anger coming up from the way that we drive. We even list cities now based upon hostility index in, in terms of their road rage. Miami being first, and New York City, Baltimore, Phoenix, these difficult you know, th these cities that are marked by rage. Not just road rage, but desk rage. Desk rage is, is uh, let me just give you a couple statistics. 42% people have confessed to yelling, verbal abuse. Um, one in four suffer for chronic anger in terms of the marketplace and the office. So, so there's road rage, th there's desk rage, we know there's air rage. Get this, in 1997, 1997, there were 66 confirmed cases of air rage. In 1999, there were 534 of these explosions of anger due to stewardesses or stewards or the like. There's sports rage. Just two weeks ago, a man in a pickup soccer game got a yellow card from the ref. He punches him, the guy dies. So, I mean, it, it's significant, this rage that we have. Do you grasp the difficulty that we have in expressing anger rightly. It's profound. So how do we handle this menace, this anger, this rage that we have? Well, Proverbs has wisdom for us. Now, the social pundits of the day want to use ventilation. They used to say, hey, just ventilate your anger. Just get rid of your anger, just by expressing it. Others want to repress and suppress. Well, God has wisdom for us in Proverbs. And I want to remind you that in Proverbs, it isn't a book of nuggets for the nice. It's not trying to just give some axioms or quips that you can get from Reader's Digest. The book of Proverbs has the purpose of giving God's divine wisdom to God's people that they might live under his reign for his glory, leading to our joy. So Proverbs is God saying, I want my people to live according to my wisdom in a way that leads to life and not death. That's the purpose of Proverbs. It's going to help us deal with this anger that we will be in wisdom. You know, in Proverbs 24, 7, it says that wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming. Or he says in, in um, 24, 14, 29, he says, whoever is slow to anger has great wisdom. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So I want to look at the nature of anger really with four headings. First, I want to convince you as to its reality. That, there is, that anger is a reality in every one of our lives. And, and we're going to talk about how we express it. Secondly, I want to look at the nature of, of, of the cause of anger. What's the root cause of anger? Why do we get angry? Why does it happen the way it happens? And, and then thirdly, I want to look at the nature of the costs. What is it? Anger isn't free. It's not a free expression. It's going to cost you. And then last, what are some remedies for it? So first, the nature of anger. Th th that is the, the reality of it. You know, if you, you don't have to look far. Just go to the first page of the Bible. There's a second page, depending upon the size of the print. And you'll find anger between the husband and wife over conflict, over sinning against God, blame-shifting each other. You see, the first two children of the first parents have anger. They have sibling rivalry, conflict. Cain kills Abel. 
right on the first few pages, then you go through the rest of the, the rest of the scriptures are really a story about conflict. That's the point of the gospel, resolving the conflict between God and man and men and men. So you see it, you see it in our own lives, don't you? Terrible twos, teenage years, angry young men, those in middle age who are despairing over their lives not being what they're supposed to be, settling into a bitterness of old age. We see it. It's kind of like a meta-narrative. It's like our life just shows anger through the whole thing. But I don't want you to think for a minute that it's all unrighteous anger. We're going to talk about that. But let me remind you that there is a righteous anger. I mean, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and don't sin. There is a righteous anger. God has a righteous anger. Do you realize in Psalm 7.11, we read this. It says, God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation or anger. Every day he feels it. So there is a righteous anger, and this righteous anger is rooted in the very character of God. So God has anger, and it's a righteous, it's a good anger. In fact, when Moses asked God to reveal himself, he says, God, show me your glory. Of course, Moses couldn't see his entire glory, but he says, I'll reveal part of myself. And here's what he says in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Do you understand that God's anger is birthed out of his love? That anger, righteous anger, is an expression of love. Now, I think you get this. I think you understand it. If you love someone and and injury or threat or danger is coming upon them, the love that we have motivates us to rescue them, right? A child in the burning house, they're not going in there because of some other reason. They're not, you don't go in. It would be odd for you to go in and save a photo album and not a child. You go, you risk it for the child because you love the child. So God's anger is expressed and it's birthed out of love. Timothy Keller calls this love in motion, protecting one that is threatened. In fact, Chrysostom, who was called the golden mouth, he was a a great preacher of the fourth century. He says this, he who is angry without cause sins. He who is angry without cause sins. But he who is not angry where there is cause sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. This idea, if you have a cause and you don't move with righteous anger. You sin. To see your child suffering an unjust treatment and to not move, we would never consider you a worthy parent. Becky Pippert adds to this. She says, think about how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but is settled opposition to the cancer which is eating out the insides of the human race, the one that he loves with his whole being. So there's a righteous anger that is for those that we love who are threatened. Jesus exhibits this, right, in Mark chapter 3 when he when he wants to, and he goes to heal the man with the withered hand, and he incurs the anger of the Pharisees who, doesn't want, who don't want him to heal on the Sabbath. That's, that's a day of no work. 
They had confused their understanding of the Sabbath, and Jesus is angry at them over the hardness of their heart. Or in John chapter 2, when he cleanses the temple over its, over its use as a place of, of commercial business, he's angry with them because he loves the people of God. He wants them to worship God, and yet they turned it into a carnival. There is a righteous anger, but what we struggle with most is, is really an unrighteous anger. And you know the difference. You know the difference between a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger because it usually the unrighteous anger usually has us at the center of it. In other words, we're, not, we're no longer concerned with God's name and God's glory and God's purposes or the, or the victimization of some innocent, but we're really concerned with our name. We're concerned with our purposes being thwarted. There's a self-interest. There's a self-protection that we usually are seeking to protect. That's what gives birth to an unrighteous anger. Now, when you look at your lives... Where do you see and what levels of anger do you see? When you look at your marriage, for example. Marriage is a place of anger for many of us. It's probably one of the primary places of anger that we have. This place that's supposed to be safe and secure, we have great anger with our spouses. Over they're not doing or we're not doing what they want us to do in this conflict, in our parenting, perhaps in your workplace. Where is the greatest level of anger that you have? And how do, you, how do you express your anger? I mean, are, are you an exploder, kind of a 4th of July scream therapy, pound the pillow? Are you a glacier? Do you want to freeze people out by going silent on them, making them, you know, punishing them by your refusal to engage them? I mean, are you a retreater? Do you kind of retreat back and withdraw under the auspices, well, I'm just going to protect myself? I mean, do you tend to be a, a plotter, you know? I'll, I'll, I'll get it back. Just give me time. Give me time. I'm going to wait for the right time, and then I'll strike. How do you respond? Are you a denier? I can tend to deny. I'm not angry. Christians are classic. At this. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. We're just lying to ourselves, and we're not even being honest with ourselves. I share with you about 10 years ago, this woman in a church, the first church I pastored, this lady was a member of the church. We were cleaning the membership rolls, and uh, so we're removing members that don't attend. Seemed to make sense. So I, I went to her and, and I said, well, you know, I want to talk to her and ask her, you know. She goes, no, I want to be a member of the church. I said, that's great. I said, do you want to come to the church or just be a member of the church? And she said, well, I want to keep my membership there, but I don't want to come. And so I began to un- unpack some of the struggle that she had. She referred to a story when she was a kid that she memorized a Bible verse at vacation Bible school and didn't get the candy she thought she should get. It gets worse. Uh, and, and she was seething over that issue. And so I said, when did it happen? And she said, uh, 1906. She was six years old. She was a 96-year-old woman. She told me the story with crystal clarity. She had held on to that nugget for so long. She had massaged it. She worked it. It was like a precious jewel to her. This anger just being hardened and fastened so that, so that everything that had anything to do with the church, she found problems with because of that issue. Do you understand the depth of your anger right now? I mean, I mean, I mean what's your story? I mean, what, are your, what are your thoughts here? Are you angry? Who, to whom are you angry at right now? Why are you angry? The reality of anger is great, and I find that Christians, by and large, don't want to admit to it. They don't want to, they want to, they don't want to recognize the reality of the anger in their heart. 
Well, well, that's the reality. Let me look with you for a minute at the next kind of bucket I want you to think through is the, the, um, uh, the root causes of, of this anger. In other words, what causes you to be angry? I mean, this makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you go to a doctor and you have a wound or a, a pain, he's going to want to find the source of that so as to bring treatment to it. And, and if you're angry over something, we need to find the source of it. We need to figure out what's causing the anger. To just think that you're angry. See, what I find is, is that um, we Christians, but also you non-Christians here, we misdiagnose the source of our anger. We tend to find our anger rooted in situations like, you know, I, I was, had too much traffic today or the boss didn't recognize me or I'm not feeling very good or I didn't sleep very well, I'm really tired. Or, or, or we kind of root our anger in situations that may provoke anger, but they don't cause anger. So either we root it in situations or we root it in people. It's my husband that hasn't cared for me or my child that's disobedient or my boss or my neighbor or my father. We tend to root it in situations or people. And the common theme among most people with trying to discern the cause of their anger is that it's outside of ourselves. It's external to us. We rarely look at anger as being from within. And that's really what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that most of our anger... That is, the anger that we have towards someone or something generally is caused from within. It doesn't mean that they aren't part of the package as well. But the anger we have in response to their actions is from within. Now, we see this in Proverbs chapter 4, 23. It says here that, um, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The heart is what gives birth to the good and the bad. And this is said even more clearly in Ecclesiastes 7. He says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Jesus said the same thing in Mark 7. What comes out of a man is what defiles him for from within. Out of the heart of men come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, uh, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So you have it coming from within. Now, James says this, but he amplifies it. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not the desires that battle within you? Is it not the things that you set your heart on? In other words, what is the cause of our anger? The cause of our anger is our heart. In other words, we set our mind, we set our heart on something, and it may be something good. It may be something right, like a good marriage, or, or a, a strong leading husband, or a better job, or more security. And when we set our heart on that thing, we make it not just a good thing, we make it an ultimate thing. And once we make it an ultimate thing, that we really need that to be happy, then when we don't get it, we get angry. This is the idea of, of what Augustine called a disordered love. A disordered love. A disordered love is when I put a secondary love in a primary position. So the call in Scripture by Jesus Christ is to love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That's the call. Love your God, love your neighbor next. But when we love our neighbor first, or we want the love of our neighbor, and we make that, we set our heart on it, and then we don't get it, then we get angry, and we get bitter. And disordered loves lead to disordered anger. If I'm loving the wrong thing too much, then my anger is going to be at a wrong level. It's going to be in a wrong direction. 
A disordered love also leads to a disproportionate anger. You know, when I love myself, for example, if I love my name being recognized and someone doesn't recognize me or someone abuses me or criticizes me or is sarcastic with me, and then I want to defend myself, it's amazing how angry I can be over your, let's say, even foolish comment to me, and yet I'm not even concerned about the massive injustice going down the street, going on down the street to some child. I'm not even concerned about all the people suffering at many different levels. I'm just concerned about my own name. It's a disproportionate anger. Why? Because I love myself. I've got a disordered love. So, so the, the issue is, it's kind of like when the mother loves her child and wants her child's love so greatly, she won't use restraint, perhaps. She won't bring discipline. Maybe she'll give the child everything she wants because she's so desirous of wanting the love of the child that she, she, she moves and she puts that above her own love for God. And then when the child acts in a disobedient or mean-spirited way or doesn't respond the right way, then she's just, her life is destroyed. I can't believe my kids are a mess. I mean, part of it may be that the child has some issues, no doubt about it, but, but there's a disordered love. And it causes anger, it causes fear, it causes frustration, it causes bitterness. My life isn't the way it was supposed to be. How do we know the way our lives are supposed to be? The, the order is love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And I realize that you're going to try to find your situation in between those poles, and there's a lot of details to your life that I don't know, but it begins with, do we have ordered loves? Do we love God with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength? So the cause of much of our anger, I think, is birthed from within. So ask yourself, if you're angry right now, who are you angry with? And why are you angry? And is your anger generally more about you, or is it more about the injustice to another, or the name of God? And, and is your anger godly? What's it over? Is it something that you expected, or you demanded, or you've attached some valuable meaning to, and you haven't gotten it, and that's why you're angry? I mean, if we don't go through this hard work of trying to test and weigh our own heart, then we're just going to be angry people forever. So the reality of anger is there. We all have it. The root, the root of anger generally, at least the response to it, is, is coming from within. Now, again, please hear me. I want to be heard as balanced. I'm not saying that people haven't sinned against you. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have cause for hurt or, at points, stress. But, but remember this. Most of what causes anger is not the action towards us. It's how we interpret the action. So, so if someone does something to me, that may hurt. But then I imply motives and I interpret their action as they don't love me. They don't care for me. They don't want me. And then I get more angry based on how I interpret it rather than the action itself. And we then increase. And that's all done within my heart. That's not done from them. So, so I want to sober us to the reality of what this is going to bring in our lives if we're not mindful of it. In other words, what are the costs of this anger to you? Well, the costs are significant. In fact, Proverbs says, it says uh, in 29.8, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away from wrath. In other words, he's saying this, that, that, that the wise man puts aside wrath the foolish man, the scoffer, doesn't put it aside, but walks with it. 
And, 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 the, and Solomon likens it to a fire. A fire doesn't take prisoners. A fire consumes everything in its way. And that's what will happen to you if you don't deal with the anger in a, in a godly way. It'll consume you. It'll eat you. Not only that, but it leaves you susceptible for greater pain and greater cost. He says that the man of wrath is like a city without walls. In the ancient Near East, you don't want to live in a city without walls. You're run over by anything, by anyone, any group. You're very susceptible to being destroyed because you have no walls for protection. And the man of wrath has no walls. Not only that, but, but, but anger as you walk with it, it just increases in its aggressiveness. Proverbs 30, he says, as, as, as milk is churned to produce butter, so is anger churned to produce strife. It's only going to get worse. And, and the implications and the costs of this are first going to be borne out by you physically. Do you realize that research now shows that unresolved anger is more damaging and causing, more damaging to your heart, more effective at causing heart disease than smoking, high cholesterol, alcoholic consumption, excessive alcoholic consumption, uh, see, weight, cholesterol, alcohol intake, cigarette smoking, and being overweight. Those four things, they don't produce the damage to the heart that unresolved anger. It's like those bombs. You just recently, another bomb was detonated in, in France, a World War II bomb. It, it fell, and of course, it didn't explode. It wasn't known about. And then it was discovered by some farmer, and then a, a detonation team went there and tried to secure it and, and explode. But every year, dozens of bombs in France explode. That's what we're like. I mean, we're like these bombs that are just waiting for the right set of conditions to come, and then boom, we blow. Frederick Buechner, a modern writer, says, uh, holding on to anger, it's like drinking poison and, and waiting for your friend to die. It's killing you. It's not killing him. So, so it's going to work to ultimately destroy you. In fact, Solomon says that a man with a tranquil heart gives life to his flesh, but the man of wrath brings rot to his bones. It'll consume you if you don't deal with it. But not just you, it'll consume your relationships. The relationships you have with people. God has designed us as being part of a community where we can have joy and safety in our relationships. But with unresolved anger, there's no joy, there's fear. There's fear, and, and there's no safety, there's danger. I mean, many of you know this. I mean, have you been raised in a home with an explosive father that just explodes with anger? What's it do? It gets us absolutely frightened. We don't want to rock the boat, otherwise dad's going to blow a gasket. Or, or mom, she, she goes in the freeze mode. And, you know, we're, and, and I see this in men. Women, listen, you may not explode, but when you freeze down, when you power down to about 100 degrees below zero, men move differently. They can be scared of you. I encourage you men not to. But, but, but you, see, you see this dynamic play out in relationships. And for kids, the kids are walking around on eggshells. And you see it when they're older because they play it out in the same way. I mean, relationships are ruined with unresolved anger. But not just relationships, your own name. You know, as Christians, we're trying to be pursuing a life of wisdom. And yet it brings foolery. In fact, Solomon says this. He says, a man of quick temper acts foolishly. 
He who has a hasty temper exalts folly. I mean, you know how this is. You blow your top, and you look like an idiot. Your anger skews the way you look at a situation. You then feel justified to bring the hammer to it. And then later on, when temper's cool, you realize, whoa, I said way too much. I overacted to it. And you feel like a fool. Why? Because you were. You acted like a fool. You didn't control your anger. You didn't manage it. And so you begin to wreck your own relationship with people. You wreck your own reputation. But last and most diabolical, I would say, is that it, it allows darkness into your life. And Solomon speaks to this. He says, a man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. In other words, a man of wrath leads to sin. You lead to sin. This is what I think Paul's getting at in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and thus give the devil a foothold. The word for foothold means, means either a place or it can be used metaphorically as an opportunity. You give him an opportunity in which to stage his destructive work in your life, promoting anger, implying motives, kind of fueling the fire a little bit. It's diabolical. It, it, that's why in, in, um, when Paul gives his instructions to Timothy on how the church ought to run, he says, I want men and women everywhere to lift up holy hands without anger and without disputing. Why? Because you're in conflict and you're in anger with somebody. You're not going to worship. You're not going to come here and find the grace of God to be overflowing. I can't write a sermon when I'm in conflict with Carol. I mean, I, mean, I, I can't. I can't. It's hard for me with existing conflict between my wife or my children or my brother or sister, I cannot work in the things of God. I find it to be very difficult. And, and you can't come here and you... And that's why we pray. Every morning from 8 to 8.30, anybody's invited, we pray, and part of our prayer is for your trip into church. We know some of the most colossal arguments can take place between your house and the church on Sunday morning. And nothing better than to get you so knotted up. I mean, you're like a fishing line, so tied up, you know, the kind that you cut, try to fix and you try to fix, and at the end, you just, you got to cut it. I mean, it's just so bad. You're so knotted up with anger over your spouse or your child. And then you come here and we're going to sing songs. I mean, it's very, very difficult. So, so I mean, assess. Look at your life. I mean, what relationships have you harmed by your anger? How have you been harmed by the anger of another? I mean, when, when you think about the cost, has it been worth it? I mean, to, to blow it off your chest and, and to clear the air with somebody, has it been worth it, really? I've tried to justify it. I remember back in college having a, just an air-clearing session with a friend, thinking, I'm going to straighten him out. That's the way we're going to do it. We're just going to clear it out. But it ruined a relationship. Yeah, we tried to put it back together. It never really got back to the place that it was. So, so, so what harm have you brought? What harm have you incurred? Think about these things. So, so think about it. In Psalms, we're talking about anger. We've looked at the reality of it. We all have it. It's part of human nature, part of fallen human nature. But we do see that righteous anger is part of divine nature as well. And then we see the root causes of it. Ultimately, it's going to be from the heart. And then we see the cost or the repercussions of it. And, and so what do we do? How can we remedy this issue? Remedy it. How, how do we deal with it? And I'm going to talk about... I think this in greater degree next week. But let me just give you a couple things to think about in terms of remedy. Um, number one, I would say we have to admit that we're angry. 
And this is a hard step for us as Christians. You, you have to admit that you're angry. I mean, as I said, for a while there was this idea of ventilating. Ventilating is a way to deal with anger. I'm going to vent it. That's the way I am. You hear people say, hey, I just got to clear my chest. I got to get things off. I'm a straight shooter. I'm going to tilt the way it is. That's the way I do it. Watch out for them. Steer clear. Get out of the blast radius. Because a person like that, they will take you in their sights at one point and you're toast. I mean, they have a nuclear. I mean, it's bad. I remember my mom, we used to call the Italians, I'm just Italian. That's the way it is. I'm like, gee, I wish we were Don Polish or something. <laughs> because when the Italian stallions started galloping, everybody looked for cover. So, so you know, ventilation is a way to exacerbate the problem. In Proverbs, it says clearly, 29.11, a fool gives vent to his spirit. Don't just vent it out. Even the American Psychology Association has come back, finally. I love it when they always do that reverse move, you know. No, ventilation is not a good thing now. Ventilation, even the secularists understand, it only fuels the fire. But, but some people, they, they want to vent it. The other group, and this most of us, is we want to deny it. We want to repress it and suppress it. Well, I'm not really angry. And, and, and it, it's like an addictive drug, really. We hate to admit it, that we get angry. But if we can't admit it, how can we ever resolve it? I mean, it, it doesn't, to admit it, folks, if we get this idea that we really are sinners that need the gospel every day, then I think we would have the freedom to say, yeah, I've got an anger issue. Yeah, I'm really mad right now. I don't even know what I'm mad at, but I'm really mad. I mean, even that starts a process towards reconciliation. Have to admit it. How easy is it for you to admit? Can you admit it? I find it to be a problem. I mean, I, many times in conflict with Carol, you know, our conflict sometimes revolves around vehicles. And, um, and, and I, I say, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. And I can feel this pressure building in my chest. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. And, and we have to say, yes, I am angry. I may be wrongfully angry right now, but I am angry. So admitting it is, is the first step. Second thing is to, to query it, that we want to query it. We want to ask, why am I angry right now? What is causing my anger? And, and you've got to slow down to do this. You have to slow down. In fact, Solomon encouraged this. He says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who takes a city. He's saying, if you can slow down with your anger and query it, question it, analyze it, examine it, you're better than the man who can capture a city. Now, to query it, when I, what I mean by that is when I get angry, why am I angry? Is it over me? Is it over some perceived need that I have? Is it some fear that I have? I, am I expecting somebody to do something and they didn't do it? There may be a legitimate complaint I have, but does it give me cause to grow angry with the person? Is it godly? Is it ungodly? And am I as concerned about God's name and his honor as I am my own name and honor? But if you don't slow down, you'll never query it. So I remember is <clears throat> years ago, uh, both the girls were young. They were upstairs. One of them had a bit of a, a lip, I'll just say. And, uh, and she was exercising it well, what felt like for years. And so <laughs> we're in the kitchen, and she pulls off a line. 
And they're upstairs, Carol and I are in the kitchen, and I remember starting to jog to the stairs. I wasn't exercising. I was going with the intent of bringing some significant loving correction. And I remember going up the stairs in sections of four. I felt like I had wings. <laughs> and I remember from the distant path, I, I hear this voice, what seemed like a thousand miles away. Count to ten. <laughs> that was from Carol. That was her wisdom. So I remember going one, five, ten, and I, I timed it perfectly. So when I got to the step and I got to the child, I was ready. I'd done my count to ten. I'd been a dutiful husband. And, and I didn't bring any love and correction. It was pure wrath. It was wrath, and it was wrath over the child disrespecting me and disrespecting Carol. And it had very little interest in her soul, in her development, in her trying, in trying to move her to a place of seeing the nature of her sin before God. That, that was lost in the wake of me flying up the stairs. It was lost in me not being able to exercise a degree of self-control to think. And what I, if I could play the whole song again, what I would have done is stop and think, why am I angry right now? Well, there's a legitimate sin that needs to be dealt with. There's no question about that. But how I dealt with it was the ability to deal with it was lost in my inability to be slow to anger. So, so, so query it. Ask yourself, why am I angry right now? And if it's, if, it's, if it's just selfishness or if it's perceived need, then confess it. Repent. Just ask God. Give me grace, Father. I'm perceiving I really need this. I'm not getting it. Would you please be sufficient for me? I mean, it's just asking God to be sufficient to you when you need it. You may have legitimate needs that aren't being met, and it does lead to fear. Ask him for grace. Ask him for the Spirit to help you. But you won't do that step if you don't query it, asking it. And and then thirdly, and most importantly, I would say that, that you want to consider Christ in this. You know, when we are offended, now I'm not saying that when you act with anger towards another person, and, and you see that, then you need to go and repent, and, and that's part of next week. But when you're sinned against, what do you do with the anger in your heart? Well, you know, Proverbs says this in 24, 29, he says, Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay the man back for what he's done. That's the way we think. I'll get, I'll, I'll get it straight. I'll straighten him out. He goes on, he says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, there's a lot tucked into that. The reason I gave it to you is because it shows us that when we have been sinned against, anger begins to well up in us. I'm going to ask you to give grace to them. I'm going to ask you to move with service and kindness and even forgiveness towards them. This is the only proverb Paul takes in such measure. In Romans 12, he quotes the same proverb that I just quoted to you. To give to the hungry. To give to those who are thirsty, give water to them. In other words, act with kindness towards those who have acted with sin towards you. Now, that's a tall order, isn't it? I mean, it's great in here to church. We're all nice and dressed up to be able to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to remember to do a charitable act for that person that's really hurt me. And then you get outside the door and you want to rip their heads off. And the only way we're going to do this is by considering Christ. In other words, a couple of things to consider. When I, when I say I want you to consider Christ, I want you to consider that Christ didn't respond in anger towards your sin against him. I just want to remind you that Christ responded with the incarnation. 
He responded by taking on flesh, not regarding a, with uh, not regarding equality with God, a thing to be grasped, he humbled himself and became a man. He came among us to, to live for us and to die for us. So, so our sins causing anger, he didn't respond in that measure back towards us. So consider that he did not respond with anger. Secondly, consider that he brought about forgiveness for us, that he took our sins and our anger and he bore them in his body, He suffered for them under the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God over these sins to bring us forgiveness. I want you to think of your own sin, that when you're sinned against, I want you to think of how you sinned against God and how Jesus Christ brought forgiveness to you. This is at least how Paul figures we're going to walk in forgiveness. Listen, in chapter 4, verse 31, Paul says this in the book of Ephesians. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger in clamor and slander, he says, may it be put away from you, along with all malice. How do we get all that stuff away from us? Well, he tells us. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He goes to the gospel as the fuel to enable us to walk in forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. Now, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean you stay in the same position to be hurt in the same way. That's where wisdom is needed. But the gospel is able to fuel us. So when I think about my, or go back and read Matthew 18. When I think about my sin to God, their sin against me begins to shrink. It begins to evaporate in its size. So think upon Christ and the forgiveness that he earned through his own death. And then, and then also consider Christ and the joy that he had in dying for us. In other words, it says in Hebrews, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame. In other words, Jesus saw the redemptive end of what his work of forgiveness would achieve. And so when you're sinned against and you're angry and you move with love, then motivate yourself by reminding, this is a redemptive act. This has a good end. God's going to be glorified in this. And then I would also say, remember this. Remember that Jesus has plenty of wrath for the sins of people. What do I mean by this? Well, there is some evil that gets us angry that we can't deal with. There's some institutional evil. You know, some of the conflict in Syria and Iraq right now, or you think of North Korea, or you think of Sudan. You think, but let's not, we can go to Southeast Raleigh. You see injustices. You see capitalism that if goes amok, crushes people. Socialism crushes people. These different isms that we have in our world, they crush innocent people. Many people don't have a voice with with courts. Many people don't have a voice for justice. They're just being crushed. And as I think about that sometimes, I really get angry over the abuse of human nature by other humans. And, And I can't affect that, but I've got to deal with the anger. How do I do it? I think about the one who has plenty of wrath for all of that. Jesus will come back with plenty of wrath. You don't have to harbor that anger. You don't have to grind your teeth on these situations. Paul tells us, he says, never take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. There will be plenty of wrath. It slows us down. It recognizes that those injustices, perhaps it's even in your life, you've been mistreated and the person's moved on, you can never reconcile it. It'll be reconciled. Don't you worry about that. Nobody's going to complain 
that after God's bar of justice, things weren't reconciled. It's either going to be in Christ or it's going to be through the hand of the Father bringing judgment. So anger is a serious issue for us. The reality of it is you and I struggle with it all the time. The root causes of it. Before we go external to us, let's begin to go internal. What's the heart? How is our heart feeding and fueling this anger? And then think through the repercussions of it. You will pay. Anger is never, it's never free and it's rarely cheap. It's always expensive to you, to your relationships, to your relationship with God. And think through. Let's admit it first. That's not doing anything than admitting what we all know. We're all sinners here. We all get angry. So now that's on the table. Let's just admit it. Let's be slow to anger. Query it. Why am I angry? It's going to lead to confession or perhaps it's going to lead to reconciliation. And then consider Christ. I want you to think about the gospel. The gospel is sufficient for you and I to deal with our anger. So let me pray for us and then um, I'll orient us to the table and the elders will come forward to serve us. Father, I thank you and praise you for the wisdom of your word, this divine wisdom which is meant for us to follow by the power of the gospel that we might bear your image, we might declare your glory, we might, we might make the wisdom of your mysterious plan of the gospel seen and known by others. Father, we confess that we are angry. We are even angry at you. Father, would you please bring grace to us that these words of Solomon would, would marinate our heart, would soften our souls, that it might lead us to confession and to reconciliation and to consider Christ in all of his glory, how you have forgiven us, that we as a people might walk in forgiveness towards one another. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.